You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Debro. That was fun. We should do that more often. Wake Forest comes home and absolutely just obliterates Syracuse to the point that their coach has to apologize to their fans. Um, I think Autry will be fine at Syracuse. This was something that just kind of screamed bad matchup. And you've got to see it by the betting line that this being like an eight-point sort of thing. This was a, I thought this was a, a not great matchup for Syracuse, for a team that doesn't really score the ball all that well, doesn't rebound all that well, kind of relies on turnovers. Basically, the only way I thought they were going to be in this game was going to be if they if Wake Forest turned over a consistent amount. Wake Forest turned over 14 times, but I think a healthy amount of those weren't live ball turnovers. You know, basically Syracuse's entire year has been Judah Mintz, please help, and then can someone else score 20 with him? You know, held Judah to 13 points on 5-9 and nine shooting. Uh, one rebound, six assists, three fouls, and three turnovers. And if you told me before the game Judah had 13 points, I'd be like, Wake wins by 20, and they won by 29. So, I mean, I think they had a game plan and executed it pretty well. You know, Kevin Miller, and I had someone kind of poke, poke me a little bit about calling him Kevin. I know I made a joke about calling him Boopy when he plays better. Um, It's more of the journalistic sort of side of things. Uh, I know Connor O'Neill kind of does has his own stance on that as well. If I'm talking to him, I will call him Boopy. If I'm talking, if I'm talking directly to him, like he wants to be called Boopy, I call him Boopy. Um, in terms of writing, I if I'm going to write Kevin for the time being until Wake Forest changes his name on the site, um, I I understand like that's what he wants to be called face to face. Wake, please change that so that way I can't like I can fix that in my writing. That would that would really help with that because it's just it's it, it doesn't help me. So, but Mr. Miller was was fan was fantastic. I mean, I thought he was a little bit rough to start the game, but really came on strong. You know, after he got a little short stint on the bench, finished ten of fourteen from the field, twenty one points, five rebounds, three assists, three turnovers, which were fine, uh, two steals. I thought he was solid. I thought I thought that's what you expect out of your point guard. And I, I mean, I can't, I can't handle any, any more than I have. I mean, he's, he's got, to, he's growing up, and he's got to do it. And he missed an entire year last year. He played four games and missed an entire year, and is now playing up a level on top of that. So he is now having to work through all of his mistakes. He probably should have gotten out of his system last year, while having to do it at a higher level of basketball. It's not easy the breaks and but i thought he did a really good job kind of bouncing back and and really taking hold of this game and not making a ton of you know he didn't look rushed like he just did i think someone pointed out and pit that it just felt like him and cam really played just completely different paces on the road and he went home and it felt like they were just so much more controlled and he was like you could tell like when he wanted to go fast he was going very sonic mode welcome back cam hildreth Five of seven shooting, 13 points, 12 rebounds, 12, uh, two assists. Nice little do- double-double for the Brov. 
I'm less excited about the stats. I thought the stats were, you know, great. You know, double double is always nice. I'm more thrilled about the way his body language was. He finally looked a little bit more, he looked more than a little bit more co- confident out there. He looked happy. His wrist is apparently loosening up a little bit. I, I think it's the ligament. Like, I, I don't like speculating a lot of that stuff, but from the way, at least from what I was told, how it happened, and from Forbes' own you know, talking about it after the game, very much sounds like it's just a ligament it's torn in his wrist. I don't think he'd be playing with something broken. So, but he looks like, I mean, he's diving for loose balls. He was rebounding extremely well. He was moving the ball around, made a three, which I thought was great. But I mean, he made smart decisions with the ball. And I thought that was the big thing. He didn't try to force things too much. He didn't, because there were some times in the last couple of games where you could see him kind of overthink, like, I don't know how my wrist feels. Like, can I take a shot? Can I even drive it that well? He was more controlled chaos than he than he was has been the past couple of games. And I thought that was really important to see his body language kind of start going, okay, I can do this. I know I can do this. That's what you need out of your captain and one of your leaders. That's what you need. Not a whole lot to say on Efton. I mean, that's even on Hunter Salas or really Efton. Efton was fine. I didn't really do a ton. I mean, he rebounded well. He blocked out well. Stat sheet was fine for him. You know, I... He's good. Definitely he's good at basketball. Cool. <laughs> Hunter tied his career high in points. There were some times that he made some shots that I was like, okay, yeah, no, it was a great honor. And then sometimes where Syracuse went full matador on him and just decided that stopping the ball wasn't good or, you know, just marking him in general. I'll take it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say nope to, to a gift. You don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Especially one wearing orange, but whatever. Andrew Carr had a fantastic game. I mean, <laughs> Andrew Carr is very good at basketball. It's almost like when he's not hurt, he's very, very good or sick, like he was on Tuesday. He's very, very good at the game of basketball. You know, let's see. Hunter finished with 24, 3, and 5. Andrew Carr finished with 16, 3, and 2, you know, with a block. You know, solid defense. I thought the defense was probably the most notable part of the game. Yep. They, like I said in earlier, they had a specific game plan for Syracuse. Uh, they held Syracuse to 0.986 points per possession. You know, they had a practice on Friday that was open to the basketball alumni. And I had a couple of guys text me after the practice during it and after it. And they had mentioned that Wick was, was hedging a little bit more on their, on their ball screens and it felt like they were just doing different things than they originally had done against, you know, RJ Davis and DJ Horn. And then Forbes was asked about this after the game, quote unquote. And it was specifically in relation to Judah Mintz, uh, quote unquote, we weren't doubling him. The rule we just told our big, our five usually isn't a drop. We came up to touch, which would be at the level. And then he couldn't leave until he passed it. Now we did more of a flat hedge, not a blitz. We blitzed the sides, which means we trapped, but on the middles were mostly just that are, that all those are said. Uh, we just wanted Efton up to touch so he couldn't get a dribble into a shot or dribble into a foul. Uh, we couldn't leave him until he passed it because he's good. We had to get it out of his hands. And they forced it out of Judah's hands a lot. And I thought that was a smart thing to do in a, on a, against a team that very much is a, you know, if, and it's not being disrespectful to Hughes, but it's just kind of how they've been all year. If you have, you know, if their team is essentially J.J. Starling, can you add 20 on top of Judah Mintz going off? Justin Taylor, can you add anything? You know, Kadari Copeland, can you add 15, 20 points? Like, 
if Judah doesn't sit here and go off and draw a bunch of fouls and get you in foul trouble to open up all these other opportunities, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's really rough sledding for them. Like they very much thrived off of Judah getting to the line, and you turn it over live ball, and you didn't do that. And I thought that was I thought you did two very good things. I know there was a little bit of consternation about adjustments being made and stuff like that. And I think that hey, I, I don't think there's a way you can spin it to be like, oh my god, this is just a bad team. It's like no, like this is a very this is a solid team that they're what they do best is turn the ball over, and that's one of Wake's kryptonites. And you know, Wake took care of it well enough. Wake Forest defended well. And that they made some adjustments, and that's I think that's important. Can it continue? That's what I want to see, but they made adjustments. You can't take that away from them. Now you kind of reset for a day. You know, they they practice tonight at 7 p.m. You got Georgia Tech, who is just an anomaly of a team. Like, I truly don't understand this Georgia Tech team in the sense of they have home wins against Duke and UNC. But, like, losses at home to Boston College and Notre Dame and Pitt. Like, I, I, I don't – not saying any of those teams are necessarily bad, per se. Notre Dame's kind of bad. But, like, I, I, I truthfully don't get this team. They're, they're not even that – they're not even, like, a young team. They have some young pieces. But, like, there's a lot of basketball being played – that's been played on that team. Just looking at their – just stats across the board – their offense efficiency is fourth in the conference during conference play. Uh, their defense is DFL. And by it's them, it's them in Louisville by a very, very, very large margin. It's it's just like they're in their own complete tier. You know, they shoot fine. They don't they let people shoot well against them. The turnovers are kind of might be might be a story of the game for this. They are eighth in offensive turnover. Percentage essentially, they turn over at about a fine rate. Uh, they average one fewer turnover than Wake Forest does in conference play. Uh, they are once again DFL when it comes to defensive turn- turnover uh, percent percentage. So, aka, you know, how often they turn people over. They average twelve point six turnovers per game in conference play. Almost two full turnovers fewer than Clemson for being dfl they they just don't turn you over at all they don't turn you over they don't really do a great job defending they don't really rebound that well they're seventh in offensive rebound 32nd i mean uh dfl in defensive rebounding they don't really get to the line too often they're 12th in that but they're 13th in fouling They're 11th in three-point defense. This is one where we're like, okay, if three points are going to fall anywhere on the road that you play this year, out of, every, out of anywhere you play on the road this year, maybe Virginia, but like that's a whole different story in itself. It's going to be against Georgia Tech, who's allowing 36.8% of threes made in the ACC play, 11th in the ACC. Uh, the only teams worse than them are Boston College, and you shot the ball from three pretty well against Boston College. Louisville, Clemson, and Syracuse. Sorry, my brain, it's late, and my brain has just turned off today. But, yeah, I mean, you, you've shot the three well against, shot the three, three well, very well against, you know, 
against Syracuse. You shot three very well against Louisville. You haven't played Clemson, but like, so you've played teams worse than them. UVA was 10th. You shot well against, against UVA. This is one where you go, all right, if we are going to shoot well against anyone on the road from three, it's going, this is, this has to be a team we have to do that against because I mean, you've played four to stay on the road. They're second in three point percentage allowed. You've played UNC, who was first. You have played Pittsburgh, who's ninth. And, you know, I think it was good until it wasn't. This is this is one you gotta you gotta buckle down, man. I think I think this is this is one that, uh, and it's not it's not a walk it's not a sleep sleepwalking game. Like you can't sit there and, and expect Georgia Tech to quit. Obviously, they've been UNC and they've been Duke both at home. This this team is scrappy. They might not make the tur- they're not going to make the tournament, but this team is still a scrappy team. You know, I'm curious to see. I put this out on Twitter earlier, but I'm curious to see how much of the lineup we saw in that in this Syracuse game where it was you know Hunter Cam Parker Damari Afton Reed has it has an insane offense bench. I think it's 185.7, which is just laughably good. And their defensive finishing at 75. None of those numbers are sustainable, but I think it's a pretty solid lineup because you have Hunter who's shooting. And I mentioned this last time, but Hunter Salas is shooting an obscene percentage from three. I mean, he was shooting, you know, 40-ish percent before this game. And, you know, he's shooting 40.3 now this year. <laughs> this this dude's good. This dude's shooting well. Obviously, you know, Cam's with the wrist. He made a three. He was one for one. Maybe he keeps you honest, but Parker can spread you out. Damari can spread you out. Afton, you kind of have to respect down low. So this is actually like a pretty good spacing lineup. You're going up against Georgia Tech team that isn't that big. Georgia Tech is, you know, fine in terms of there's a reason. There's a reason they don't rebound well. Like they they aren't exactly tiny like Syracuse. But if you look at their roster, there is not a there's only one person on the roster that is over 6'10. It's Evan Musa Duona. No. After him, it's Bane Dongo, who's who's a freshman, 6'9. Tafara Kapari, 6'9. Kwasi Reeves, 6'7. That's in it. Tyshawn Claude, 6'7, generously. And that's where it starts going off the like if, if Duona's not in the game, like you can I, I don't I thought at first maybe you might try to match Reed's minutes with Duana just to kind of have big on big. But honestly, if Reed, if, if Duana's not in the game, you could really go on a nasty run with that, with that lineup and just say, Hey, we got four, we got three or four people that can shoot threes after you get the rebound guards, get the rebound too. If they miss on their own, on their end, it's the pretty solid defensive, pretty solid defensive lineup as well. I mean, the Hunter has been a really, really good defender. Cam obviously is a pretty solid defender in his own right even with the injury. Tamari, who's like I said, he looks better. Parker's been Parker's been pesky. Parker, Parker's been pretty pesky. And you look at all like the for Maya, you look at the you know the the best two man and three man lineups and Parker is Parker and Efton are always in there. I think Parker and Efton are like their is like their second best two man behind obviously Hunter and Hunter's uh Efton Reed. But Parker's always in there. If you look at deep, uh, defensive BPR by Evan Maya, you know, their top defenders are Efton Reed, Carr, Salas, Hildreth, Zach Keller. And then, you know, Parker's been about, he's negative 0.21, but I think that's a little bit harsh on him just because I think he's been on, on in some lineups that just as a whole aren't great. 
but he's he plays some solid, solid defense. So I think that's a lineup you could really get some some good usage out of and still take advantage of the fact that you are just going to be a naturally bigger team than this short attack team. I think you have a good shot of, of doing that. I also think I've been pretty, and I'm going to kind of you know, jump this into a little bit of bracketology. This is one where I finally go, this is, this is a can't lose. This is, this is, you cannot lose this game. It's not a must win. You cannot lose this game. I have been very much like, not optimistic, but just, hey, everything's fine, you know, whatever. I don't really care that much about you losing to NC State. I don't really care that much about it in terms of you making the tournament. I care about it from a personal level. I don't care really much that much about it in terms of your chances of making the tournament. Same thing with Pitt, same thing with UNC, same thing with you know Florida State. I know this is a Q2 game, but just the perception of Georgia Tech, I know they have, I know they just beat UNC. This would be one that I think the committee would actually be actually try to hold against Wake Forest when evaluating them. This is this is one where I go, not only is this a prime, prime, prime place for you to just given the matchups of, you know, I don't really, I don't really think they're that great on the wing to guard Hunter. I don't really think they're that great. They're going to be that well equipped to guard Andrew Carr and Don and Dongo versus Carr is going to be a really fun matchup, but I think Carr should be able to take to handle business there. I think Afton has a clear advantage down low as well. You know, I, I think this is if as long as you keep Nathan George and Sturdivant, you know, who are some kind of long two merchants. So I'm curious to see if they they change that up as well. But this is one where you kind of look at it and you go, you know, this is a good opportunity across the metrics in ter- like in terms of what you what you like to do what versus what they don't like to do, and vice versa. Where you can go into George go against Georgia Tech, you're probably going to be favored. I would if they're not betting favorites, something is probably up. Corbett right now has it as a, I believe, Wake Forest by about four points, which probably makes sense for Rogan. This was in Winston-Salem. I think this would be Wake Forest by double digits in terms of the spread. If you lose this game, I think it's just perception-wise. It's it's rough. Like, your entire resume is built around the fact that you don't have bad losses. And, yeah, it's Q2, but, like, I, I I don't trust it staying Q2. And this is one where it's like, look, you are you are a better team than them. You don't have the cushion UNC has of being able to take a loss like that. Just go out there and take care of business. Right now, Torvik has you at, you know, going 12 and 8 in the conference. If you go 12 and 8 or 13 and 7, I personally, I'm, I'm putting the stamp right here. I think it's 13. I think 13 and 7 is what they go. I think they sweep home. I think they, and then I think they split one of the uh, one of the Virginia schools. I don't think it really matters all that much to beat UVA at home because you already have a win over Virginia Bank, so you already have a tournament team banked. The only reason it would double dip is because it's technically is because it's a Q one, but in, I don't know how much in the eyes of the, of the tournament they would be like, well, you've beaten them once, but not twice. Clemson didn't get in beating NC State three three times, but whatever. If you go 12 and 8 or 13 and 7, I think you're in. I, I honestly think you're in. Because that 12 and 8 that they have Wake Forest going right now is essentially, you know, I think what everyone thinks. You know, beating Georgia Tech, beating NC State, beating Pitt, beating Duke at home, beating Notre Dame, beating Georgia Tech, and beating Clemson. 
if you've been that, if you if you do that, I think you're in. Because then you would have a, a clear Q1 win over Duke. You'd have a a solid win over a tournament team in in Clemson. You already have a, a Virginia win, and I think a lot of people have minus Lenardi, and I don't really care about what Lenardi has to say. Most people have, I think, Virginia in the field at this point. Wake Forest has a win over a tournament team in Virginia. And Florida, I think, is now safely in the tournament. I think Florida has a, I think have that win over Florida aged pretty, pretty well. You'd have four wins over tournament teams. You wouldn't have any bad losses. You know, I think you would be, I think, I think 12 and eight would be in 13, seven. I don't think there's a question you're in. I don't, I, I don't argue with whoever you want to. I think 13 and seven is a no hold, no, no questions asked. You are in the tournament. You are 13 and seven at the end of the ACC's regular season. That means you not only avoided bat losses, but you either swept Pitt in Virginia Tech. I mean, excuse me, Pitt uh, swept Virginia and Virginia Tech, or you managed to pull it off in Cameron. You're in. You're fine. You know, if the thirteen and seven ends up being, and even if, and honestly, even if the thirteen and seven is, you know, you end up losing a home game to Clemson, but that's traded with, you know, a Duke win, the Duke win out on the road, or the, or you know, one of the you now have two Virginia wins, uh, two Virginia and Virginia Tech wins. I think you're still in. You know, I think that Clemson game can really only help you. I don't. I don't think that Clemson game can hurt you. So, and I do think that we might be underestimating how much you know, the F of the F and Reed factor helps, and not just because he makes the team better from you know just our eyes, but from a narrative standpoint. It was being pushed during that nine game winning streak. And it's going to, if you keep listening to the announcers, it keeps getting brought up a little more, a little more, and a little more. And I think also the announcers are going to start doing a better job of not, excuse me, the ACC announcers are going to start doing a better job of not necessarily crapping on the ACC. I, I think, you know, if Wake Forest goes 12 and 8, 13 and 7, I think you're going to hear more and more be like, look, this Wake Forest team with Efton Reed is just a completely different one than we that than they were earlier in the season. It's just completely different. You know, they it, maybe they beat Georgia, Utah, LSU, whatever, and they don't have those bad losses. Would they have a couple, not even bad losses, but they don't would have early losses? Would they they still have the losses against Florida State and, and, and North and UNC and NC State, whatever? Fine. But what they've shown in ACC play has would have been tournament level. And I think that narrative gets would get pushed more and more. I saw someone, I think I saw someone compare it to, you know, Clemson last year. And thanks to Blackjack MC on the Team Deacon Digest message boards, who pulled, you know, the BPI, Kim and Corvick, what Wake is right now. Wake is 29th in BPI, 31st in Ken Palm, 35th in Torvik, and 41st in Net. If Wake Forest, you know, is 12 and 8, 13 and 7, they're not falling below most any of those. They're they're not, they're just not. Unless they just absolutely get just smoked multiple times, no. Because especially when you look at the point spreads right now, I mean, Georgia Tech's only a four point, you know, a four point game. NC State's eight, Duke is six on the road. UVA's two. This is all bikes from Torvik, by the way. Pitt is uh, seven. Is about seven and a half. Duke at home is two. Notre Dame is five. Virginia Tech is two. Georgia Tech is tw- at home is twelve, and Clemson is four. 
outside of Georgia Tech, none of these, none of those are blowouts. Like none of those are like, man, like we just absolutely just have to kick the crap out of some of these teams, or or we're not going to be able to get any juice from it. Like no, like you can win a game against you know Pittsburgh by ten and, and just look and be stagnant. You could beat Notre Dame by 10, 15 and be fine. If you actually run it up like you did against Syracuse, which I think you have the ability to, because you've run it up at home against outside of Miami, you've run it up against teams at home. Like you ran it like Florida, I thought you didn't run it up against Rutgers, you ran it up against Virginia Tech, you ran it up against Louisville, you did Virginia uh, and Syracuse. You've been running up the score at home, and I think you have a solid shot to do that if against like a North, a North Carolina State, against a Pitt. Against Notre Dame, against a uh, Georgia Tech at home, there's not a way. I, I there's not a feasible way, I should say, that you are going to sit here and go 12 and eight in the conference or 13 and seven in the conference and drop down from those high marks you have in the predictive metrics. Why does that matter? And I think that matters a little more than you having you know six, seven, eight Q1 wins because also we get too caught up in quadrant wins. It's they need to be wins over teams in the tournament. If you're winning, you know, if we're at 12 and 8, 13 and 7, you don't have the bad stuff Clemson had last year. People don't realize that Clemson was like in the 50s in the net, which isn't bad. Like it's a Q1 road game, but they're in the 50s. Wake, like I think they were 57th. Wake Forest is 41st in the net. And it would take just them dropping like a sack of sack of bricks at this point for them to get down there. Wake Forest doesn't have knock on wood right now. Wake Forest doesn't have a Q3 loss. You know, does does LSU go down to a Q3? Maybe. You know, they have a really, really rough schedule coming up soon. But even if you have one, you're still in a better position than Clemson last year, who had two. But you also don't have anything that's in danger of being a quad four loss. Like, unless you lose to Notre, Notre Dame, which I still think, I still don't think they are, would end up being a Q4. But you've avoided the landmines. That's something Clemson had last year. Clemson not only had a very, very bad non-con. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was in the 300s, like high 300s. They had two Q4 losses. They lost against, they had a Q3 loss against South Carolina. They had a Q4 loss against uh, Loyola Chicago in a neutral court, which is even worse because a Q4 in neutral is awful. And they had a Q4 loss against Louisville. They had a Q3 loss against Boston College as well, but now, the Louisville and the Loyola Chicago ones are the ones that were very much held against them. Wake doesn't have those losses. Like, that is the, like, that has been their strength this year in terms of what their bubble candidacy is. They don't have those, but they don't have those bad losses. And outside of Georgia Tech and maybe either State at home, because that's just a it's a Q three, which is dumb, but whatever. But honestly, Georgia Tech and Notre Dame are your last two landmines that you can that you have to get through. If you sweep those, you no longer have bad losses. Like there is no longer a place for you to have a bad loss on your schedule. You can hang your hat on that. Your non-conference schedule wasn't that bad. Your net, it's right now by net, it's two thirty-eight. You know, I don't think it's necessarily going to crack the top two hundred unless you know, LSU turns it around, but. It's fine. Like that's that's fine. You you're not gonna sit here and parade it around like, oh my god, we have two thirty eight, but you're not sitting here and hiding it like Clemson was last year. Clemson 
Clemson's non-conference games were Citadel 331, South Carolina 234, South Carolina Upstate 255, Bellarmine 258, Loyola uh, Maryland 321, Iowa 39, Cal 313, Penn State 48, Towson 129, Loyola Chicago 269, and Richmond 159. Like you you don't have that in your non-conference like at all. You played a fine non-conference. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. You don't have all the negative stuff that would potentially be held against you as these other teams are. As long as you take care of business and like, let's say 12 and eight, which right now Wake Forest is still undefeated. They're, they're 11 and one as a, as a favorite. And they are one in six as a, and they're, they're one in six, excuse me, they're 12, but they're 12 and one as a favorite and one in six as a, as a underdog. If you continue doing that, you're 12 and eight, you're in. Like, I think you're in. You don't have any bad losses. You'll have some Q1 wins. You're right off in the sunset. Everyone's happy. You're making a tournament. Congrats. You know, if you go 13-7, you're firmly in. I think you're good. That's where I want to see what this Wake Forest team does is, you know, if you can adhere to what you've been doing this year, which is essentially what the metrics have said you you could do, congrats. You, you're making it to March Madness. I think everyone would appreciate that. Doing some housekeeping on football. A couple of commitments over the last couple of days. First off would be defensive tackle uh, Nico Maggio from Georgia, home of former Wick Forest player Jake Simpson. Hope Jake's doing well. I've talked to him a little bit. Nico's a little, little more sawed off kind of guy at defensive tackle, but you know, kind of ferocious plays for Buford, which if you don't know that, that school like really, really solid, um, like one of the better schools in the state of Georgia and usually in the country. They were they were fine. Like they were fine by Buford standards this year. Like they were they were still pretty good. Most of their talent goes deep one. So Nico plays against a bunch of essentially college kids every single day. You know, he's going to be an early enrollee. I like him. I want to see what he does this next season, though. Um, he was kind of st- stuck behind, at least award-wise. A bunch of five stars. I want to see how much he really grows into this role this offseason. Cole Fund- Funderburk from North Gwinnett, home of current Wake Forest defensive end Tyler Walton. They actually kind of played the same position. Uh, six three and a half, two thirty. You know, I think he'd get up to probably two two fifty ish, two sixty when he gets to when he gets to college. I he was sack leader in Georgia last year. Really high motor guy. No, I don't. I don't want to say he's injury prone, but he definitely had he had an injury that knocked him out for a little bit. It was a, it was a concussion. I I think he'll be. He's a really really solid pickup. Had some great offers. Beat you know Georgia Tech. Virginia Tech, Indiana, same thing with Nico. Nico had offers from, I believe, Duke, Arkansas, ECU, Louisville, and Indiana Pitt. So, you know, two guys with some solid offers. I don't ever question Dave Cohen's takes. Like, whatever, if he decides he wants the guy, have at it, Dave. You you have earned the right for me not to question you. There'll be one more coming in today. This will obviously be going up on Monday. So yeah, there'll be one more coming in today. I think it would come in this evening. Um, I like I like the kid. I think he's a solid, solid pickup on the offensive side of the ball. You know, I, I think they have a plan for this for this class. Class isn't going to be too big, but they have a plan. And I think that this is another step towards that plan. So 
Always enjoy doing this. Love you guys so much. And as always, good eeks.